Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com haunted. I'll see you there. When you think about Delaware, what's the first thing that pops in your head? If you're like me, it's the bit from the movie Wayne's World. Imagine being able to be magically whisked away to Delaware. Hi, I'm in Delaware. Or that bit from The Simpsons from season 10. The Simpsons are going to Delaware! I want to see Wilmington! I want to visit a screen door factory! I understand those references are probably at this point over 30 years old, but that's it. That's all I really know about the state. Nothing. I know nothing about the state. But that's why I love doing this show. I get to learn a little bit and share what I find with you guys. Turns out, Delaware's pretty awesome. Well, in a ghost story aspect. They have a ton of them. As far as everything else, I really have no idea. Sorry for those of you from Delaware. I'm willing to learn, though. The only thing I know is that there was a huge Harley-Davidson dealership there. I pass it when I drive to Florida, and as a motorcycle rider, I always meant to stop in to check it out. But I'm mostly driving past during winter, and I'm in a rush to get the hell out of the cold. But like I said, Delaware is host to spooky and mysterious stories that have been passed down through generations of Delawareans. Is that a word? From the historic mansions of Wilmington to the abandoned forts on Peapatch Island, Delaware is home to a variety of haunted places that have intrigued and terrified visitors for years. Today, we delve into the history and folklore behind some of Delaware's most haunted locations. We will explore the legends and rumors surrounding these locations and try to separate fact from fiction. Whether you're a believer in the paranormal or a skeptic, these tales are sure to provide a fascinating glimpse into the supernatural side of the first state. Do you believe in ghosts? Join me on a journey through America's dark and haunted past as we explore the ghost stories and folklore that have been passed down for generations. What scares you? Let's find out. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History.
The Indian River Inlet Bridge in Sussex County, Delaware is said to be haunted by the ghost of a man who died during its construction. According to legend, the man's spirit can be seen walking along the bridge or standing at the water's edge. The actual history of this bridge, though, is far more terrifying. Travelers heading south from Dewey Beach towards Bethany Beach can tell you about the Indian River Inlet Bridge they cross on their way down the coast. How beautiful it is lit up in blue. How breathtaking the sunset views are. And how they hold their breath every time they cross the bridge. Even just a little bit. Many people are unaware of the remarkable story behind this historic bridge in Delaware. To solve the travel problem, the first bridge was built in 1934. The rapid waters and exposure of the Indian River Inlet caused this first bridge to collapse within five years of building. May of 1940 marked the completion of a concrete and steel swing bridge as a replacement. Like I said, I don't know if it's a word, but I'm going with it. Delawareans were starting to like the idea of traveling down from Bethany Bridge without having to travel so far out of the way. This bridge saw a fair amount of traffic. As a result of damage caused by ice flows and strong winds, the bridge collapsed due to the inlet's powerful water. From the pages of the Freelance Star, February 10th, 1948. Bridge collapse kills three persons. Three men drowned or died of exposure today when a section of the Ocean Highway Bridge over Indian River Inlet was collapsed by heavy ice. Police reported a section of the arched stone span gave way under a truck driven by Pasquale Capone of Dover, Delaware. Immediately behind in a car were Benjamin L. Wagamon Jr., 27, of Dover, Delaware, John D. Adams of Berlin, Maryland, William Osada, 26, of Cambridge, Maryland, and James E. Clark of Dover, Delaware. They tried to get Capone out of the truck cab and were in turn thrown into the water when pounding ice carried away the wreckage. Wagamon was pulled from the water but died of exposure on the way to the hospital. Adams drowned. Clark managed to swim ashore and is at Memorial Hospital in Milford. Osada was also rescued by the Coast Guard and is in BB Hospital in Lewis, Delaware. All were employed by the Electric Company of Philadelphia on a contract job for the Delaware Power and Light Company. Engineers figured they would get Indian River Inlet right at some point during Delaware's history in the 1950s. Delawareans enjoyed the version of the bridge in 1952 for how convenient it made traveling between the resort towns up and down the coast, despite scouring from the river and inlet. The Indian River Inlet Bridge was rendered impassable by a deadly nor'easter in 1962. In addition to leveling Rehoboth Beach, the Ash Wednesday storm wiped out the Indian River Inlet Bridge, leaving Delawareans without access to the coast. A Delaware DOT worker warned that the bridge was eminently collapsing. Considering the bridge's incredible history, one collapse every decade, it amazes me that they continue to operate. Even though no bridge here had lasted 10 years, engineers tried again two years later. Indian River Inlet Bridge's first span held up for a while, so Delaware added a second span in 1976. Inlet traffic was always heavy, but wave after wave, the water scoured the bridge's supports. The bridge would not be the brick house that the Big Bad Wolf wouldn't be able to destroy. A severe storm in 1989 caused significant damage to the bridge, and it was declared structurally deficient, with the possibility of collapse after another storm. Still, it remained in use. In 2005, 
16 years after it was declared structurally deficient, bridge officials realized collapse was evident. The bridge was predicted to collapse between 2008 and 2013. Guess how long it took to construct the newest Indian River Inlet Bridge? For those keeping score at home, we're on bridge number five. Engineers have begun building the longest arch span bridge in the world, but the exit ramps were unstable and the project had to be halted just three years after it began. A final attempt was made in 2009 to build a bridge that would stand up to the churning Indian River once more. A big fire in 2011 damaged the supports and delayed the project. In August of 2011, one span was open. And the next year, the south span was open. And the sixth and hopefully final Indian River Inlet Bridge was dedicated as the Charles Cullen Memorial Bridge. Despite it taking over 75 years and six bridges to construct a bridge that would safely carry travelers over the Indian River Inlet, this rendition seems to be here to stay. It has been predicted to last 100 years, though I'm not so sure I believe it. The four-lane bridge connects north and south coastal Sussex County, with Dewey Beach at the north and Bethany Beach to the south. Without it, drivers would have to travel to the westernmost reaches of the Indian River in Millsboro to cross. Every person that travels it saves about an hour's worth of driving time. Some people believe that the wandering spirit that is seen around the bridge is the one responsible for the tragedy over the years, as revenge for his own death. A little food for thought for those of you getting ready to make the trip across. I don't know about you, but I'll take the long way. Woodburn Mansion has earned the title of Delaware's creepiest house, and it is said to be haunted. I feel as though if you have the title of Delaware's creepiest house... Being haunted should just be a given. Woodburn Mansion is located in Dover. This Georgian home was built in 1790 and is still standing today. It has seen many wealthy Delaware citizens come and go. In 1965, it was bought by the state of Delaware to serve as the governor's house. While some renovations have been implemented over the years, one thing has never changed, and that's the presence of ghosts. This mansion has been known as one of the most haunted places in Delaware due to the numerous sightings and encounters with various forms of spirits, most of which have had pleasant demeanors. Well, that's a nice change of pace. It's hard to deny, though, that there is something supernatural going on at this place. The haunted mansion in Delaware was once home to senators, politicians, wealthy farmers, doctors, and other members of Delaware's elite class. Nearly every resident has heard or have seen a ghost there. Crepe myrtles, boxwoods, and large poplar trees adorn the property. The tall trees towering over the premises give visitors an eeriness. It's understandable why once you learn that one of the Woodburn Mansion's ghosts is a southern slave raider who perished from hanging on the same tree that still stands today. When Dan Cowgill, a Quaker man, had ownership of Woodburn, it became a stop on the Underground Railroad. One night, a band of slave raiders came in in an attempt to recapture escaping slaves. Mr. Cowgill chased them away, and one tried to escape by climbing a poplar tree at the front portion of his land. He slipped and fell off the tree, trapping his head in one of the nodding branches, where he hung until death. To this day, people claim they can hear his agonizing screams and jingles of shackles resonating through the air, what many believe could be his personal torment as he suffers through dying over and over again. This story is deemed one of Delaware's most remarkable ghost stories. 
Early residents and guests of Woodburn Mansion had no idea they were sleeping in Delaware's most haunted house, which first appeared in the early 1820s. Dr. M. W. Bates had a preacher as an overnight visitor, and the next morning, as the guest descended the stairs, he saw another individual walking up to them. Thinking that this was a fellow house guest, the preacher proposed that they should join him for breakfast. When he arrived at the table and told the Bates that they should wait for the next person, Dr. Bates and his wife looked at each other as they were confused because there were no other guests in their home. The preacher had described the person he seen in vivid detail. This caused the Bates's jaw to almost hit the table, as the Reverend described Mrs. Bates's father, who had died in the house many years ago. The dining room of this house is what seems to be most haunted, much to the chagrin of wine lovers. Woodburn's ghosts remain fascinated by this room, even though its decor has changed throughout the decades. Governor's wives have heard scampering footsteps in the dining room at all hours of the night. Revolutionary-era gentlemen have floated across the room, and the wine ghosts seem to imbibe whatever vino is left out there at night. Some of the ghosts reported that Woodburn seemed to be fun-loving and friendly. A ghost in the mansion's dining room was reportedly seen helping himself to vintage wines when Governor Charles Terry Jr. lived there. The previous owner of Woodburn reported filling his wine decanter every night, only to find it empty the next day. They are usually dressed in revolutionary other clothing, even in modern times. Listen, haunting a house full-time has got to be tough. It's five o'clock somewhere. There is one ghost in Woodburn who is quite young compared to the rest that you see which makes you wonder what caused her to haunt the place. A young girl is seen often in the garden, wearing a red checkered gingham dress. She's been seen splashing and playing in the pools and fountains, and she even crashed the inauguration of Governor Michael Castle in 1985. Guests of the new governor felt something tugging at them throughout the ceremony, and they even saw a young girl floating shyly in the reception hall. Luckily for us, if you want to check out the mansion yourself, The mansion is open to visitors Monday through Friday from 8.30 to 4. But you do have to call to make an appointment. Believe it or not, they don't like it when people haunt the grounds unannounced. I'll see myself out. Hey there, folks. So Seclusion finally premiered, and it was Thursday instead of Friday. Like I said, like I've been saying, I've been saying for months how it's going to be February 24th, Friday. And I put it out on a Thursday. I just couldn't wait any longer. And the feedback I've gotten from it has been great. So if you've taken the time to reach out to me and say, hey, listen, I'm really digging the show, thank you so much. It's a stark contrast from the normal like narrative-based storytelling that I do, even when I'm telling my own stories and you know doing characters. It's not fully scripted. You're not dealing with actors and sound design, even though the sound design is kind of minimal because it's in like one location. But anyway, it's still, there's still a lot of little tweaks and things that you got to put in there that I didn't realize like in the process of. So anyone who's reached out to tell me, you know, say anything kind about it, thank you so much. Even if you don't like it, even if you say, hey, Chris, it's not that great, please let me know. I want to know if anything I'm doing wrong and anything that I can improve on in the future. I also want to let you guys know that on my other show, Zoning Out, we did another sort of like audio drama. It's a one-off special. We have a lot of fun over there on Zoning Out. It's more goofy and then serious. So you really get a chance to see like just more personality based than the minute or two here that I talk in between stories. We did something called the Zoning Out it's February 24th holiday special. What holiday is it? It's not a holiday at all. That was just something we wanted to do. We wanted to treat it as like a 70s kind of 
variety show. We brought in Shelby Scott from Scary to Sleep, a comedian from Last Comic Standing, Mike Buschetti, who's a buddy of ours, the band Beach Creeper. It's pretty much anybody who we've had dealings with, we're bringing them on to these shows. We were going to do an episode like that probably once a month, so this was the first one. My cousin Frank handles the interview portions of Zoning Out, where we interview directors, and he had on the director of the movie The Outwaters. And during his interview was interrupted when he got a mysterious telegram inviting us to a haunted house. It's a spooky comedy, Scooby-Doo-ish kind of mystery. It's a lot of fun. We had a blast recording it. And we're going to probably do one monthly over there. So if you're interested in that, go check that out. And just, you know, thank you in general. I want to give a shout to my newest patron, Ryan. Thanks so much for joining. And if you guys want to join the Patreon, patreon.com slash history. You get early releases, uh, ad-free episodes. I think I have the first two chapters of Seclusion up already. And I think the third one's the third one will probably be up either uh, Monday or Tuesday. And from there on. So the whole series will probably, all of Seclusion will be up on the Patreon well before it airs. But yeah, you get things like that. And uh, thank you all again, and uh, let's get this show rolling. Hey, folks. You guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion. It's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com haunted. I'll see you there. Since the early 1800s, the U.S. military has owned Peapatch Island. They actually had to seize the property from a doctor named Gale, who had been using it as a hunting ground and refused to sell it. To protect the Delaware River from enemies, Fort Delaware was constructed in 1817. Fort Delaware was built with a moat, meaning that it could only be accessed via boat. Hey, I'm a poet and I didn't even know it. During the Civil War, it became a prisoner for Confederates, and many of the troops captured in Gettysburg were among those held there. Unfortunately, the fort was not built to accommodate such high numbers of prisoners. Eventually, it was 40,000 inmates that cycled through Fort Delaware over its lifetime. Peapatch Island once terrified Confederate soldiers. It was spoken about by all who have been confined there as the perfect hell on earth. Any Confederates who were captured and interned anywhere else considered themselves to be lucky. In total, 
2,650 people died in the prison after battles in Gettysburg and Vicksburg. In addition to the smallpox epidemic in 1864, prisoners died from poor living conditions. Paranormal enthusiasts consider a place like this the perfect spot for activity. After the Civil War and the prisoners were released, the fort was used to form Al's Heavy Artillery Company, which obviously trained soldiers who specialized in artillery. After this, the fort became inactive. As a result of the U.S. government declaring Fort Delaware and Peapatch Island a national park in 1947, the fort and the island are perfectly preserved. James Archer was a Confederate general during the American Civil War between the Northern Unionists and the Southern Confederates. It was Archer who led such successful battles against the North as Fredericksburg and Chancellorsville. But after these, Archer became quite ill due to exhaustion. By the time Archer arrived at Gettysburg, he had become so ill that he could not lead his men into battle, which is why Major Henry Heath led them, although Archer watched from a distance. By the time the battle got to him and they started to retreat, Archer was too sick to run, so he hid under some dead grass in order to avoid detection by Unionists. However, a Union soldier named Patrick Maloney found him. He was taken prisoner and he was sent to, you guessed it, Fort Delaware. Due to his illness and elevated social standing, James Archer and the Unionists struck a compromise. As long as he didn't attempt to escape, he could roam freely within the fort's grounds. And this is why you don't make deals with prisoners. This was accepted by both parties. And before the ink was even dry, Archer began making plans for an uprising and escape for himself and his men, as there were far more prisoners than guards present. James Archer was discovered and summoned by the fort owner, leaving Unionists in shock and concern due to his broken promise. Really? As a punishment, he was locked up in the tunnels beneath the fort for many years. After he was released, it was whispered that the ordeal had driven him to insanity, meaning he could no longer take part in military service. He later retired to Virginia, where eventually he passed away at the ripe old age of 46. James Archer's ghost is said to wander around Fort Delaware, mostly in the tunnels. His ghost is mostly heard or felt. He was rather shy in life, and when he is seen, which is rarely, he's usually ducking around a corner. Another ghost that hangs around Fort Delaware is known as Private Stefano. People have reported banging noises coming from a flight of stairs. If you stand at the bottom of these stairs and call Private Stefano's name, it's usually said to provoke this haunting. Occasionally, a figure appears at the top of the stairs, but this figure usually appears briefly and then disappears shortly after. Another one is the ghost of the cleaner, who often enters the mess hall and cleans the former mantel place, according to legend. The ghost then walks through a bricked-up door that leads to nowhere. These type of hauntings are usually referred to as record-skip ghosts, that they just reenact the same motions over and over and over. These kind of ghosts don't react to anyone. There is also no name or identity for this ghost, but it is presumed that he or she was a servant. Personally, those types of ghosts are the most scary. Not for seeing, for being. I can't imagine just being stuck in a perpetual loop for eternity. That idea is terrifying. The kitchen ghost is another mysterious figure amongst the officer's old kitchens. It's been said that a female entity occasionally appears to examine the cooking appliances. On one occasion, a member of the kitchen staff was preparing soup when the ghost suddenly made her presence known. 
She inspected the ingredients, even going so far as to pick up some of the utensils and help stir it for some time before smiling at those present and then vanishing through a wall. Apparently, this is a ghost of a cook, appearing only in the kitchen or whenever the kitchen or food is mentioned. There are so many ghost stories surrounding the fortress that local author Ed Akadowitz wrote the book Civil War Ghosts at Fort Delaware. He noted that some people have seen men in damp gray uniforms wandering around the coastline on misty nights. The lost souls are likely the escapees who drowned in the Delaware River swift current. Akonowitz has long led ghost tours on the island, and he reported that many participants heard strange noises and even saw men in cloaks carrying lanterns. In 2014, park historian Laura Lee was camping on the island with the Boy Scouts of America troop when she heard steps approaching her tent. She popped out to investigate, but she was alone. Everyone else was sleeping. When she re-entered her tent, she found her carefully spread out sleeping bag balled up in a heap. The Cannonball House, located in Lewis, Delaware, is a historic home that has been subject of ghost stories and paranormal investigations for many years. The house is named for a cannonball that is lodged into its facade, a reminder of the home's role in the War of 1812. But the house has a much older history, dating back to the 18th century, that includes tales of murder, suicide, and hauntings. Built in the mid-1700s, the Cannonball House was originally owned by a prominent local family, the Veardens. The home was later sold to another family, the Penroses, who are said to have had a tragic history. According to legend, the Penrose family experienced a series of misfortunes, including the death of several family members and the suicide of a young woman named Sarah. It is said that Sarah's ghost still haunts the house, appearing as a young girl in a white dress. But the most famous legend associated with the Cannibal House is that of a murder that occurred in the early 1800s. According to the story, a wealthy sea captain named William Hamilton lived in the house with his wife and daughter. One night, while the family was asleep, a thief broke into the house and killed Hamilton with an axe. The murderer was never caught, and it is said that Hamilton's ghost still haunts the house, appearing as a shadowy figure or a disembodied voice. Over the years, visitors and staff have reported seeing apparitions, hearing strange noises, and feeling cold spots throughout the house. The Delaware Ghost Hunters, a local paranormal investigation group, have conducted several investigations at the house and captured evidence of unexplained phenomena, including electronic voice recordings and shadowy figures. During the British bombardment of Lewis in April of 1813, a cannonball struck the foundation of the Cannibal House, which is owned now by the Lewis Historical Society. Originally built in 1765, it has been a restaurant, laundromat, and private residence for pilots. Since the society bought the property in 1963, there have been some mysterious happenings. There is a door in the building that no matter what you do, will not stay shut. They've even tried nailing it closed, and the next day when they return, the door's wide open. In an incident one day, a worker left his tools on his bench at the end of his shift. When he returned the next day, they were placed on the floor, carefully lined up next to each other. One time, a key went missing from a lock of a displayed 16th century Spanish chest. Since workers had accidentally closed the lid, everyone assumed that the key had fallen inside. A maintenance man found the key underneath a coiled rope in the basement while cleaning the property. Despite its haunted reputation, 
The Cannibal House has also served as a museum and historic site, showcasing the history of Lewis and its role in the War of 1812. Visitors can tour the house and learn about the local history and legends and lore associated with the spooky landmark. So whether you're a history buff, a ghost hunter, or just looking for a spooky thrill, the Cannibal House in Lewis, Delaware is a must-visit destination. Explore the historic home and the stories surrounding it, and see if you can catch a glimpse of the ghostly inhabitants that still call the Cannibal House their home. Delaware is one of those states that flies under the radar. Even with the stories I have found, it was like pulling teeth to gather information. If you're a local and have some personal experiences, please let me know. I would love to have actual accounts to talk about when it comes time to revisit the state. I am also looking for places to visit that are nearby my home state of New Jersey. Because, I don't know if I should say this, but Haunted American History will be filming a pilot soon. I've already said too much. I can't go into any further detail. What I did find out is that Delaware is home to a place called Frightland a haunted attraction screen park that is located in Middletown, Delaware. It features eight unique haunted attractions, including haunted houses and hayrides. It has been called the scariest haunted attraction in America by international media outlets and featured in articles in Forbes, Huffington Post, and a segment on the Travel Channel. Now, something like this is right up my alley. Real haunted stuff scares me to no end. But Chris, you just said you were filming a pilot soon. So one would assume that you would be visiting these places, but why would you do so if you were so scared? Because I'm a glutton for punishment, and it's probably going to be really funny. Plus, I'll probably visit places like this. These kind of places? These I love. I will definitely be paying this place a visit when it opens. Frightland is open from late September to early November each fall. They even donate a portion of ticket proceeds as well as 100% of parking costs to the Leukemia Research Foundation of Delaware. So go get your scare on this Halloween and support a good cause. In my research, I did find a few bite-sized stories that are worth mentioning. In Bethany Beach, some claim that Addie C. Bed and Breakfast has three haunted rooms in it. A copper tub in room one shakes violently from time to time. It was so bad that they had to actually have the tub removed during the 70s. It is said that organ music comes from room 6, which does not have an organ. Paul Delany, a former employee at the Bed and Breakfast, is said to haunt room 11. He moves guests' employees and even touches you while you sleep. Creep. I love talking about state parks. I feel they are full of history and tons of just unexplained stuff. I mean, my story about the division is basically a whole unit dedicated to finding out the mysteries behind state parks. And we will be visiting the division again very soon. There's a lot of follow-up stories happening this year. Ooh, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. And Delaware's Cape Henlopen State Park has its own creepy tales. Paranormal enthusiasts find themselves gathering in a bunker near the bike trail to find out about a phantom soldier who is still on duty behind Tower 12. A mysterious face appears in photographs taken near the bunker. Rumors of Long Cemetery in Frankfurt being haunted and watched over by a Catman creature have deterred teens and young adults who might otherwise be tempted to party there. The legend goes that knocking three times on his above-ground tomb at the center of the cemetery will guarantee car trouble when attempting to leave. Where this myth originated is unknown. However, a number of locals have reported car issues after visiting the graveyard. 
So whether you're a seasoned ghost hunter or just looking for a spooky time, Delaware has plenty of haunted attractions to satisfy your cravings. From the hair-raising haunts of an actual attraction in Frightland to the creepy confines of Fort Delaware, there's something for every thrill seeker in the first state. So gather up some of your bravest friends. Hold on tight and prepare to be scared. Who knows, you might even encounter a real ghost or two along the way. Just don't say I didn't warn you. I'm Christopher Feinstein. And this is Haunted American History. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.